Welcome in the Longhorn live stream on this Tuesday night. Uh, my name is Jerry Hamilton. I'm sitting in as the host for Bobby Burton, who's in Newport Beach playing tennis or having a drink with Freddie Couples or whatever he's doing in Newport Beach right now. Joined by Ian Boyd of Inside Texas. Uh, Justin Wells will also be joining us here in a couple of minutes. Uh, Ian, did you fill out your NCA bracket? I mean, look, the field of 68, we're actually rolling right now. So if you pick the Corpus Christi Islanders, you're looking pretty good. Oh, really? <laughs> I just did it earlier this evening. Uh, Jerry, who'd you, roll, who'd, who'd you roll with in the final four? I did uh, UCLA, Alabama, which I wanted to go against Alabama because I went Duke over Bama. I couldn't do. I couldn't do it. I, I, whenever I see a lot of freshmen these days, I just can't. Yeah, uh, I know. Alabama. Did you pick Texas in the Midwest? UCLA. No, I picked Xavier. I think is my Midwest pick. Okay. So I had Texas to the Elite Eight, and then losing to Xavier, and I picked Michigan State. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> okay. You, how far do you have Texas going? I have Texas in the final four. Oh, wow. I, I do. I do. And, I, you know, I'm prepared to be wrong, but uh, I think Marcus Sasser's injury is an issue for Houston. Uh, Xavier lost their big man. That's why they didn't win the Big East a few weeks ago. Miami's big man's iffy. Um, I really feel like if Texas gets past the second round game, I think they're going to cruise. I, I really do. I think that's kind of a hurdle. Um, and I think Penn State's really good. I think A&M would be really competitive, especially on the boards. I think if Texas can obviously handle Colgate, in which they should, but if they win that second round game, I have a feeling they're going to roll. Um, and I picked Duke. To, I, I, I'm surprised myself, Ian, because I've said on the show, I don't like the inexperienced teams. I actually picked Duke to beat Texas in the final. Um, I just think they have the team to beat Alabama, and they're 18-1 and one when their full team plays. And doing some research on Duke, I was like, ooh, you know, they've had a lot of injuries this year, but they're 18 and one when their core plays, their whole group plays. That's pretty sporty uh, right now. I mean, that's better than Bama. That's better than anybody else. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Again, Jerry Hamilton here on the Longhorn live stream with Ian Boyd. We're going to be talking Texas spring football practice, recruiting, NCAA tournament. Justin Wells will be joining us soon. Uh, right now, before we get rolling, I want to take a second uh, to thank our sponsor, Energy Texas. Energy Texas is for Texans by Texas. When Energy Texas becomes your energy provider, you're dealing with and calling people in the state of Texas, not back east, not overseas, Texans. We're proud to be from the greatest state in the union and prouder still to be fighting for the little guy against big power. Give Energy Texas a try today. Thank you to Energy Texas. Um, Ian, Obviously, spring practice, when one of our first questions we got out, any word on Malik Murphy? Let's start there. Um, uh, Malik still rehabbing, uh, still coming along slowly with that foot injury. Um, he's, he's in full pads. He's dressed out. He's watching the other quarterbacks um, in spring practice. Obviously, obviously, they're off this week. But I know we've kind of talked about this, but I think it's really interesting um, for Malik Murphy because every practice he misses, Arch Manning gets a lot of reps, and you, that gets you behind really quickly. Did they um, did they say if he had what his issue was in particular? They haven't said that. that they haven't said that. And if, Ju if Justin pops on here, he may have heard something. They haven't had. They haven't said that. I think they're kind of protecting against a stress fracture a little bit from what we're hearing. I just 
you know, it's kind of like when a when a seven footer in basketball has a yep. foot injury and it comes back up. It, it just makes you nervous because Malik Murphy, he's not a little guy. Yeah. What I can tell, he's getting bigger all the time, not in a bad way. Right. He's just a big dude. I mean, just he's going to be too dude. Dude. Yeah. So I'm not, yeah, I, I get a bad feeling about it, which I think is a shame because I think uh, I think Sark really likes him. I think Sark would really like to have him around as a you know high level insurance potential Cody Kessler, Mac Jones type to have if there's an, a year when yours is gone and Arch isn't ready or Arch is quickly in and out or Arch gets hurt or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. But I'm getting starting to get nervous for that kid. Yeah, I am too. I am too because that's been since his senior year that he's been able unable to stay healthy, and it's the same issue apparently. So, um, but again, you know, my big thought is uh, <laughs> Rob's asking, "Where's Justin? Justin's having a computer issue. He should be here soon." Um, you know, East Texas and computers, man. I lived there for years. It's a struggle. Um, but uh, somebody says, Tyler Davis said, "I'll have Texas beating Duke in the final. Duke's size will be tough to contend with game to game." That's where I come out on Duke. You know. Derek Lively was not good to start the season. He was the number one ranked prospect with ESPN, which I never bought that. I mean, we took some heat at on three for having him lower, but not really a high-energy guy coming out of high school, a 7-1 guy that could shoot at the average 12 a game. He's actually playing a little better now that he's playing in the lineup with Filipowski and Mark Mitchell. When the Lively was coming off the bench, I, I he just didn't have enough firepower in that group with him. But uh, they play – 6'11", 7 foot, 6'11". I mean, and the point guard's healthy, which is a big deal for Duke. Yeah, they're going to be tough. to. I think they're the team that can take out Bam. I'm not saying they will, uh, but I think they're the team that can. So it's it's going to be very interesting. Obviously, Texas, for those that don't know, number two seed in the Midwest region, takes on number 15, Colgate. Um, as somebody on Inside Texas said today, Adonel Foyle's not walking through that door for Colgate. And I've watched a lot of Colgate tape the last couple of days, and and their bigs are slow-footed now. Uh, the the defensive rotation, how are they going to help on ball screens? That's going to be a, a big issue for Coley. They shoot it really well from three. They do not shoot it from the free throw line, which is very odd for a team that shoots it from three. Uh, their best player is 6'5 guard, Tucker Richardson, 51% from the line, which is quite amazing for a really good guard in college basketball. But uh, Texas takes on Colgate 6-15 Thursday night on TBS. That game will be followed by 7-10 seed game, Texas A&M, Penn State. Obviously, everybody's looking forward to a Texas versus Texas A&M round of 32 game. And, boy, what a game that would be for Rodney Terry, right? I mean, all the talk of getting to the Sweet 16 to be to lock in to be the head coach at Texas and potentially have to beat A&M to do it. I'm picking Penn State over A&M. I'm prepared to be wrong. Uh, I think it Penn State may be in that round of 32 or 64. I did the same. I also picked Penn State. I was talking to my pastor actually asked me up here in Michigan. He was like, which which of those two Texas teams is going to blow it, you know, <laughs> and, and deny us the chance to to see that high stakes game. And I was yeah. like, well, I think that's got to be Texas A&M as your default. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, it was, I thought it was interesting. Here's my conspiracy theory on the tournament without any information, obviously. The final four is in Houston this year. I just find it odd that Houston and Texas were in the same region. I mean, why couldn't Texas be a two? And I know it's by seeding, right? Seeding. But to me, I think they might have tried to keep two Texas teams from being in the Final Four in Houston. I mean, that would be a crazy ticket. It would be a wild atmosphere. I just don't know if that's where they wanted things to head. 
Uh, because Baylor's not getting there as a three seed in Bama's region with Bama and Duke. That, is, that ain't happening. Uh, they'll be lucky to get past Creighton. So I, I just I kind of found that interesting. Though, the, a little conspiracy theory on my end there. So um, you think they're trying to sell out of uh, they're trying to sell out of state tickets? I, I think I just think it would be issue two. It could be a potential issue two teams from the state of Texas if they made it that far to the Final Four in Houston. And there, there would not be tickets to go around. I'll say that <laughs> for anybody else. Uh, Daniel Kinnaman, good question here. Who are this is for Ian? Who are the top two sack leaders for the Horns in 2023? Do those two have more than 14 combined? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's the last time Texas had two edge guy, two sack leaders with more than 14 combined? Would that have been Jackson Jericho? I don't even know that answer. I think it'll be uh, whenever they had Reed and uh, who did Reed play opposite? Well, that's just tricky. Yeah, so that's a tricky question. Two um, more than 14 combined. I'm going to say no, but what you got, Ian? I'm going to say no as well. You're, you're going to – so I think Sorrell can give you half that for yep. sure. He did five and a half last year. I think they can – I think he'll improve enough and they'll put enough around him that his numbers will go up. But I don't know if they'll have another guy quite of that caliber. Because, like, right now it would be probably Finkley. Um, we haven't really seen him in that role, but Finkley doesn't strike me as a uh, as a like a premier edge rusher. I kind of think if Finkley gets those numbers, it'll be because he's uh, chasing guys down that got flushed by interior pressure. Yeah, yeah. But, I'll um, say this. Texas has two guys combined for 14 sacks. They're going to have had a really good season. Yeah. Because we can't remember the last time it happened. <laughs> uh, Eddie Lee, any commitments coming? Uh, Eddie, you know, it's interesting, this 2024 cycle. Texas staff's not really pushing for commitments right now. I think it's interesting. They went through that January 21st, Junior Day. First off, when the level of players Texas is recruiting, the majority of those guys want to take – taken an April spring game. They want to take in their June official visits, then decide July or August before their senior season. And that's probably 75, 80% of the kids Texas is recruiting. So right off the bat, that takes out a lot of guys that could potentially commit to Texas. Um, the Texas staff isn't really pushing for commitments right now. I, I actually like the patience they're having. Look, they have their top targets, the Micah Hudson, Colin Simmons, who's coming in March 25th for Texas second junior day. They've had a lot of those guys on campus to 21st. This March 25th junior day is impactful, too, because you're talking about a lot of out-of-state guys that are coming in that haven't been on campus before. You're talking to Terrence Hibbler, defensive lineman out of Lexington uh, County um, in, in Mississippi. Caleb Moore, an edge D lineman out of Oak Grove in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I could name a few more guys like that that haven't been on campus before, and Texas really wants to see where they're at with some of these guys, especially the out-of-state prospects, to see, okay, do you have a legitimate shot at these guys? If so, let's bring these guys back in 
at June for official visits. I think the last thing Texas wants to do right now is schedule too many June official visits until they at least get these kids on campus once and the in-state guys maybe twice and really see where they're at. And then you have the spring evaluation period. I, I just don't think Texas is in a rush. I like what they're doing from an evaluation perspective because the reality is April 15th through May 31st is spring practices around the country. And the Texas coaches will be out on the road. They have so many days each, but they'll be out on the road evaluating these kids uh, and really setting that final board headed into the summer uh, at a lot of positions. So I think they're moving uh, with a lot of discipline in recruiting because they could have a few guys committed right now. But if they don't feel like it's the right guy, take your time, see see which of these out-of-state defensive linemen you have a really good shot at, evaluate these guys in the spring, make sure your boards are set where you want them to and go from there. But I can tell you this, everybody, 75, 80% of these kids are going to want to decide before their senior year. So from July through that, that mid, late August is when you're going to see a run of kids committed, not committing not only to Texas, but nationally. A lot of these kids are going to come off the board. Your, your point about trying to find out which out-of-state kids might be serious that's good, maybe a good indicator of why it's so different for Sark than under, say, like Mac, where it's yeah. like 25 to 80% of the class is signed after junior day. Right. Because they no want to play, they're not looking to pressure all the Texas kids into getting their spots. They're, uh, yeah, they want to they see how, how high they can go. Uh, King me with a good question. How many underclassmen do we lose after this year, and how does it affect going into the SEC? Uh, we hit on this last week, I believe, with uh, Bobby, but it's a good question. Um, you know, let's start with wide receiver. I think that's the easiest one. A.D. Mitchell has a good year. Xavier Worthy has a good year. Those These guys don't come to college to spend four years. So if those guys have draft prospects, and Worthy will have draft prospects, it's just how high in the draft. A lot depends on how he catches the football this year. The rest of it's kind of known. Um, then A.D. Mitchell, the same thing. He had some drops in the uh, spring practice I was at Wednesday. Um, Jatavion Sanders, a great possibility to go early. If Quinn has a really good year, he's a really good chance to go early. You look around the defense, um, you know, there may be a couple of guys that could go early. I don't know about you, Ian. Those are kind of the first guys that come to mind for me. Well, when he says underclassmen, does he mean guys like that that could go after their junior year? Is he talking about yeah. – I think dra- anybody draft eligible. That's for risks. Um, I think he's draft eligible. I, I think that you have to. They're, the staff is already planning on entering the SEC without the guys you just mentioned. Yeah. Even even yours, I think you have to. If he comes back, that may be a good thing. But you're you're counting on having to roll with Arch with, uh, you know, without some of those big targets. But I don't, a lot of their best players are in the sophomore class with more upside, so I, I I think they're fine. I think the interesting question will be after that first year in the SEC, how many draft eligibles they're going to lose. That would be looking way ahead right now. But I think that's going to be a really popular topic a year from now. Um, so Paxton, great question uh, or great thought. He said, Brennan Thompson will end up running track. I know him. Well, that's interesting because Brennan Thompson's not competing in spring football this year, just running track. So, uh, Paxton, we're we're, we're gonna we're gonna say the uh, indications are that you uh, you may be onto something here because not playing spring football is a risky proposition right now with AD Mitchell coming in, Jonte Cook coming in, DeAndre Moore coming in, Whittington, those guys returning. 
Uh, and it looked like with Savion Red's move to running back, there would be an opportunity there. But just going straight track, it does make you, Ian, wonder uh, what his future actually is. Yeah, if we get Justin in here, we should ask him and see what his face reveals, if he knows anything <laughs> about whether that's likely or not. But uh, it'll be a shame if they lose him. Although, you know, Sark is really stockpiling talents there at this point. And with the transfer portal, I – as bad as Texas has managed to be at receiver in the last decade, it should be pretty easy to not be that bad again because you can always just go to the portal. Yeah, yeah. Um, a question here from Kevin Randolph, a little hoops question. How hard will Beard go after any Texas coaches? I think that's a great question, by the way. Um, I hate to bring this up two nights before the uh, <laughs> Texas uh, embarks on hopefully a deep run in the NCAA tournament. But here's, here's what I'll say to Texas fans. Um, if Rodney Terry is, is named the uh, full-time head coach, um, I won't be shocked if all the guys that have a chance to stay actually stay at Texas. I'll, I'll say that. Um, I think uh, the strength coach would be a, a guy that, uh, you know, has always been with Beard. You know, even a guy like Bob Donnell hasn't always been with Beard. Uh, he came in from in the NBA um, in 2019-2020 over in Lubbock. Um, so he's not a bit a beard lifer. Uh, I think Coach Riley is a strength coach. A, a, is a was a big big part of Beard's uh, plan at the University of Texas. But again, I think if Rodney Terry's named the head coach, I, I would be I wouldn't be shocked. I'd be surprised if some if some of the if if any of these guys left. I, I think Texas is a great job. It's a great place to be. Um, a lot of talent coming into the program. Um, and, and Chris Beard's a great coach, but uh, Texas and Austin, I, I think that may be a little better place to be. So I'd be surprised on that. Um, reading, uh, reading Ogden's body language after they won, he didn't look seem like he'd be going anywhere. Nah, you know, Bo's a freshman in high school. Uh, by the way, Bo's going to be Texas good. Chris Ogden's son's a freshman. He's closing on 6'5", um, probably going to be 6'7". He's going to end up being a Texas good small forward wing player. He is a really talented kid. And I, I think, you know, uh, Augie's a UT guy, man. He played on the final four team. He is having a blast with this team. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. I I'd be su very surprised if Chris Ogden's anywhere, but Texas, um, you know, David Williams question, if this plays out, replacing the receivers will not be overly difficult. Unfortunately, replacing Sanders at tight end will be impossible. I think that's a great point by David Williams. And where it gets tricky uh, is if Deuce Robinson goes to USC, as a lot of us expect right now. He has until April 1st to make that decision. But if Deuce goes to USC as expected, um, in Texas, it, it, they have a tough time. You always have a tough time replacing a first, second-round tight end. But they'd have a really tough time replacing that skill set. That may be a spot where they need to do some – work this year in the transfer portal i agree maybe scouting the uh some mac schools or wherever else for a dude that can be a receiver for arch manning you know arch's uncles tended to play with uh tight ends and arch arch played with uh i mean uh um his uh his his guy at isidore newman um yeah will, will, randall. Yeah. will yeah. randall was like the centerpiece of their offense with yes him, so they, they really need to make that a priority. Um, I guess we'll see also what remaining upside Gunnar Helm has this year, too. Right. Well, right. I mean, he's not going to be Jatavian Sanders, but. Yeah, no, no, he's not. 
Dodgers 988 fan. I've seen a bunch of crystal ball picks in favor of Texas to land Jarrett Gibson, Daniel Cruz, etc. Is there any update on their recruitment and the others? Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, Jarrett Gibson's a lean to Texas. I does that mean he's gonna absolutely end up at Texas? There's still a lot of recruiting to go here. Jarrett Gibson will be on some spring unofficial visits. He has official visits to um, let me go through the list here. Tennessee, Georgia. Alabama and Texas, I believe, are the four. Uh, Florida, Florida State, Miami, none of those teams are going to give up. It's a very similar recruitment to Senator Baxter, but there's a similar guy for Texas to Shard Choice. And I really do believe what will be, just from talking to people at IMG, what's going to be an impactful thing with this Gibson recruitment is Gibson and, and Senator Baxter talk. Senator Baxter has a really good spring at Texas. And I don't mean in the spring game, how much he plays, how much he carries the ball. I mean, Everything that Sark and Choice told him was going to happen when he comes to Texas, if all that happens, that's a great message to have for Jarrett Gibson. And I think that's going to be really impactful. Players do still recruit players. And I think in this instance, um, Texas never signed the number one running back in the country out of the state of Florida until uh, Cedric Baxter. Jarrett Gibson's ranked the number one running back in the country. Is he? I, I think there's an argument there, but he's really good. He's a top three or four guy uh, who will be ranked that way. But so Cedric Baxter's message to Jarrett Gibson, I think will go a long way in Jarrett Gibson's recruitment as far as the Longhorns are concerned. Daniel Cruz, look, he's going to stay close to home. He may go visit Ohio State. He may go visit Tennessee. But this thing's going to come down to Texas, Oklahoma, and Texas A&M. And I think one thing with Cruz is no, bot, no staff has been more in and everything they've done than Kyle Flood. Uh, the first day Sarkeesian and Kyle Flood could get out in December, Richland High was their first stop. And that said a lot for Daniel Cruz. That said a lot for the coaches at Richland. Um, it's not many times an interior offensive line prospect, the center prospect, garners that level of attention uh, from a head coach at the University of Texas. Uh, but he has, and Kyle Flood has made it very clear to Cruz in talking to him that he is his priority as an interior lineman in the whole country. And he knows that Oklahoma, there's connections on the uh, Richland staff to Oklahoma. There's connections to Texas A&M. I don't think those are going to play, uh, be a difference maker. I think Cruz will go where he feels like he's going to be developed. And he has a great relationship with his offensive line coach and a good relationship with the head coach. And, and I think Texas checks a lot of those boxes. We'll see what happens with official visits to Oklahoma and A&M in June. He'll be at Texas June 23rd through 25th, the big official visit weekend for the Longhorns in June. I uh, spoke to somebody close to Micah Hudson today. Um, he may be in Ohio State later this month. We'll see. Uh, there's some family in Ohio on the Hudson side. Um, you know, he hasn't set up those official visits yet. I'll be surprised if he doesn't officially visit Texas. Uh, interesting thing with Micah, uh, and I don't know, Ian, maybe I may, I, I may have missed this. Um, he's the goalie of a soccer team, which I thought was very interesting. I'm not sure how many five-star receivers have been the goalie of their soccer team before, but uh, I guess we don't have to worry about his hands, right? <laughs> I don't know how many Texas football players are even admitting when they play soccer, so. <laughs> yeah. Cruz, Cruz is so – a little bit against type for Kyle Flood because he's I see him listed on on three at 6'3", 275. And he's about 300 now. That needs to be changed. He's 290. We'll see what he weighed in at the Under Armour camp. But when I was through there this season, he was 299. What? Well, so not super tall. Right. I don't know. I don't know. 
what's his length like and why do you think flood is particularly excited about him so so he has guard length interior length he has tackle feet guard length is what he is as a prospect i i can tell you why the colleges texas oklahoma and them all have him at the top of the board at center he's a really smart kid um he's a really good communicator um so i think he checks a lot of those boxes um, and he's a kid who's really hyper competitive. I mean, you know, he plays defensive line, offensive line. He does whatever they need him to do to win. He wrestles. He throws the shot. I mean, he's always in that hyper competitive environment. Daniel Cruz, there you get a look at him. And that ranking, uh, Texas fans, that will go up. You see on three has him ranked uh, about 150 in the country. I think that's even going to go up. I see Daniel Cruz as a top 100 guy in the country when all said and done, one of the top two or three center prospects in the country. But that's why these schools love him. Uh, that kid's always got a smile on his face, by the way. But then when the when the helmet comes on, man, he's got some Casey Stuttered in him. I'm just telling Texas fans, it's, he's, a, he's a big-time guy. Uh, question, uh, Jerry, if you could pick one, who will be the top Texas recruit this cycle? I think Ian will probably have an opinion on this one, too. And I bet we have the same opinion, Eddie. Um, it's got to be Colin Simmons. And there aren't a lot of five-star edge guys that are in the state of Texas. Um, those guys are tough to get because you normally have to travel to the southeast to battle for them. Georgia, uh, Alabama, Mississippi, I mean, North Carolina. Um, the fact that Colin Simmons is one of those guys at Duncanville High State champion, one of the two or three highest profile programs in the country. There you look at Colin Simmons. He'll be on campus March 25th for junior day. Um, to me, Ian, if there's a must-get recruit, and I always think there's two or three that a staff feels like they are, Colin Simmons has to be at the top just because of Texas. The one thing people say, maybe they're missing that 14, 10, 12, 14 sack guy. Yeah, I – you know, there's there's few guys every cycle where I mean it's almost like the opportunity cost is the is what really kills you. It's like those two or three guys that are like the Vince Young or the um the Michael Huff or whoever, who's not just a really good player, but like a transcendent elevator program kind of talent. Yeah. And I I think a lot of times even the number of five stars, it's still only a portion of those guys that end up being that. And there end up being a few amongst the, the three or four star ranks, obviously too. But uh, of the guys that I've seen thus far in the in the state of Texas, which is a small fraction of what you've seen, uh, I, I definitely think Simmons has got to be pretty high up there. Just watching what he did to the North Shore offensive, exactly. offense. I mean, North Shore they didn't have like Division One offensive linemen this year, but still, you could just tell he was just you know, a man amongst boys in the, in the state championship game at the highest level. So, uh, yeah. And for, for those wondering on Colin Simmons, uh, recruitment, I still, I'll stick my neck out there. He's going to sign with an sec school. Yeah. He'll go visit Oregon, USC, Arizona state, obviously Rashad samples, Brian Carrington on that staff, Reggie samples, the coach at Duncanville, Arizona state will get a visit. I, this is still going to come down to sec schools. Anytime I've ever, spoken with Colin or anybody close um, to Colin. That's always been the answer. LSU's obviously in it, Texas, Georgia, Alabama. I think the decision eventually comes from those four. Look, in the NIL world, I can't say 100%, but I'll go 99. Um, I, I think he's going to end up in the SEC. Um, and I think Texas has, is going to have a good shot. He's been on campus at Texas a lot. He's making the trip March 25th with his mom, 
to Austin, and that's always a key thing, right? Mom comes with you as a staff. You feel good when mom uh, takes those visits with, with their son. So uh, that's a really big deal for Texas to get mom back on campus. He's also really close with one of his uncles, I think, that'll be that makes a lot of visits. I'm sure he'll be on the uh, visit as well. So those are the two real key family members that are making trips with Colin. Obviously, he was at Georgia for their national championship celebration uh, there. I believe that was January 14th. Uh, and, you know, Tennessee's been trying to get him up. It's going SEC. Those four you see on the screen, I believe, are where that eventual decision will come from. Um, and I don't think he's the guy that decides for senior years of right now. I think this will carry on out until December unless something changes. Yeah, those, those blue-chip defensive guys, they tend to wait. Uh, yeah. who's, who's running point on Texas's recruitment here? You know, that's really all hands on deck, but Steve Sarkeesian is, is, is personally showing a lot of attention in this recruitment. Um Texan on the daily with Colin. So I, I think it's all defensive hands on deck on this one, but I think Steve Sarkeesian's really invested in this recruitment as well. Justin Yarbo, a good question here. Update on Lovejoy duo Parker Livingstone and Peyton Pierce. How different will the approach be to recruiting this year? Um, Peyton Pierce told me he's got a, he's working on an official to Ohio state. The only linebacker Texas has scheduled for an official visit in June right now is Dylan Williams out of Long Beach Poly. Obviously, Justin Williams out of Oak Ridge is right there at the top of the board. I expect him to come in in June at some point. I think that one's still Oregon leading Texas with visits to Ohio State, Bama, that can be impactful there. Uh, Peyton Pierce you're looking at here. Uh, Notre Dame was getting a lot of attention um, late in the season, January. Um, I think I, I think that's a recruitment that could go a number of different directions. Ohio State has obviously entered the mix there. Uh, Parker Livingstone, very interesting recruitment. He came down January 14th with his family before the Texas Junior Day, January 21st. That was before Texas offered Bryant Wesco at the end of January and got Ja'Kyle Baker and Micah Hudson back on campus. I'm not sure which way Texas is absolutely going to go there at wide receiver. I think right now, and I think if Justin uh, was here, we'd, we'd both agree on this one. Micah Hudson and Bryant Wesco are the top two. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Um, and we'll see where it goes after that. Bryant Wesco is expected to be on campus uh, this spring at some point. Obviously, those that don't, aren't familiar with Bryant Wesco, he's at Midlothian High. Uh, his sister plays soccer in Oklahoma. His father's in Louisiana Tech Athletics Hall of Fame uh, in track. Uh, he's a kid with a very high upside that's really just now starting to come into his own. I think he's a kid that will get faster between junior and senior year. Um, he's not a blazer. He'll probably run 11 flat, maybe get 10.95 in the 100 in the spring. Uh, but he's more of a jumper um, than he is a sprinter. But he has got a lot of upside in that frame. And when Chris Jackson came in, that offer was made pretty quick. And, and, and I think that told you how the boards can adjust, especially for a guy like Chris Jackson when he gets a job, goes in and starts watching all these wide receivers. So to answer your question the best I can, Livingstone's definitely on the board. Where Texas goes – um, after those top two guys, how many they take, that's still in the balance because portal recruiting at wide receiver is very fruitful. And I don't expect to see Texas oversign at the high school level in wide receiver. 
with the type of guys they've been getting out of the portal and will continue to get out of the portal. Yeah, indeed. I, uh, you almost want to, you almost want to throw your scholarship numbers at the positions you can't find in the portal. That's right. Use up your misses on like defensive tackle and offensive line. And that, and that's, and Ian, that's a great point. Texas is looking at three signing three to four high school defensive linemen this year in the 24 class. Obviously that's a huge, maybe the biggest position of need in the 24 class. And the reason is like Ian said, Big time defensive tackles don't just drift in the portal. Maybe an FCS guy, lower level D1 guy, they do, but you're very rarely going to get a D tackle from a Georgia or Florida or Clemson or Alabama or Ohio State that are just going to jump in the portal and be the guys you absolutely want. Most of those guys would be from a lower level and coming up with one year left, but those big dogs, uh, those war daddies on the interior, those guys aren't jumping in the portal from these major schools. They're too yeah. valuable. Uh, to these teams. They're all built the same way. Um, the, only, and, the only chance is when, if he came from Texas originally. That's it. If there's a connection there, you know, an A.D. Mitchell connection type of thing, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, so, Ian, what are – without being in a spring practice, obviously you write about uh, Texas football at multiple times a week on Inside Texas. If you have any takeaways early from this spring, talking to Eric, talking to Justin – Kind of what are your thoughts right now uh, on the Texas team headed into the big part of spring practice, which is after spring break? Um, you know, there hasn't been too much going on just yet from what we can tell. Um, we have seen the interior defensive line looks very good, which is what you would hope for and expect, but it, it needed to happen, you know. Like, it seemed a safe assumption that Devondre Sweat and Byron Murphy could be the next dominant pairing inside. Yeah. But they weren't quite that last year. Correct. So it needed it needed to happen. It needs to happen. Um, I, you know, I wish that I could get a really good, I mean, honestly, practice film <laughs> of Quinn Ewers in their seven-on-seven seven drills. Because I got some... <laughs> Somebody filmed the open practice last year and put it on the internet. Right. And I watched it very carefully. And I was able to tell from that, you know, A, that the defense looked very different. They were running different coverages and they were running them way more in sync than they were last year. So that was a very positive sign and it bore out. But I also noticed that Quinn Ewers had almost no idea what he was doing in those, some of those seven on seven drills. And so I, it, it just became clear, like, this guy is not quite ready to do what the hope is for him to do eventually at Texas. Now, the play-action game and some of the other stuff that he did for Texas is different than those kinds of drills. And those drills are particularly hard on quarterbacks. But it just his timing, his sense of where to look and where to find his guys and when the ball needed to be out just wasn't there. And... Um, I think by the bowl game, it was significantly better. And that would just be an easy place to see where he's coming along, right. especially if they're going to spread the receivers out and throw it more this year, which we think they will. I'd just love to see where he is. Like if he still wasn't great, I wouldn't take that as a sign that he can't be good next year. But just for the just for the side-by-side. -side. I don't have that, though. So I'm just, <laughs> you know, I'm just leaning on, you know, who looks in shape, um, <laughs> who's getting buzz from within the program. 
and uh, what's standing out to you from those sorts of nuggets? Yeah, I mean, look, what stood out to me when I was there Wednesday, and the Green Lantern, I'm, we're going to get to your question about fourth and one at Bama, who's next to Kelvin Banks? That's a great question. Um, we're going to get to that after this. You know, I thought the offensive line physically looked really good um, when I was there Wednesday. I mean, Neto looks unbelievable. He's a physical specimen. I mean, he came in about 285, 290, I guess, and he's all a 325 right now. Um, he looked really good. Um, Kelvin Banks looks great. I, I, I thought just the biggest change in the program was that. Um, you know, obviously in these early practices, you look a, a lot at these early enrollees. Um, and I, you know, I thought that group was ahead a little bit physically. Obviously, Arch is a professional at a young age. I mean, the guy got off the bus and sprinted in the practice, just like he did at the Isidore Newman. Like nothing's changed for him. Anthony Hill looked really good physically. Uh, Leon LaFowle's carrying more weight than you think, and that's good weight considering. I did, see his, I did see his prom picture, and he he did look thick. He did look yeah. bigger there. Yeah, he's de he's definitely put on, I'll bet, 10, 15 pounds since yeah, his senior true. tape. That's what it looked like to me. Cedric Baxter looks really good physically. I think he'll look totally different in August. Uh, Jonte Cook, obviously, is a really strong kid in his frame. DeAndre Moore. Um, that, uh, Malik Muhammad looks really sleek, got a great corner build. So I thought a lot of those early enrollee guys looked really good uh, physically, right where you'd want them uh, to be. Um, uh, so uh, uh, the Green Lantern, I don't know if we can get that question back, but um, – I have a question for you on Neto. Here it is. Okay, we maybe we yeah. can tie it in here. My, okay, my question was, it seems like – yeah. yeah I, one way that the offensive line may shake out is to accommodate Neto. Is that the sense that you get? Like the starting lineup may be, how do we get Neto on the field in 20, or do you think he's not quite there yet? Um, I, I don't have that answer yet. I, I, here's what I'll tell you, Ian, from the practice. He may be the quickest with the hands of any lineman getting hand, his hands on guys. And, and and you saw enough to know this year when he gets his hands on people, he wants to bury people, right, or last season. Um, so I, I think he's interesting. I think, you know, obviously left guard feels like a really good spot for him. You know, Cole Hudson's out this spring, though. There's a lot of competition for the guys out this spring, uh, especially when you see realize Hayden Connors the, kind of working at backup center right now. I think there's a door open there for Neto and kind of Cole Hudson to compete at that. Uh, left guard long-term heading the next year. That's my opinion. And that kind of leads us into the question, fourth and one at Bama, who's next to Kelvin Banks that you have confident in the run behind the left side of the line and which RB gets the carry? Well, it's game two. So Jonathan Brooks is going to get the carry. Um, I, you know, it's hard for me to go against Neto. I, I, I'm not sure he's not the second best run blocker in the program once he really gets some time on the field. I don't know if Ian's got an opinion on that. I'm going to say Cole Hudson. He started every game last year, right? I mean, <laughs> but he might, I mean, he might be at center by the fall. So I, it's tough. It's tough to, it's tough to tell right now. It's tough yep. to tell. Probably not our guy, Christian Jones. Ian and I would love to see Christian Jones at left guard and yeah. Kelvin Banks at left tackle, maybe just for five plays and see how it goes because it might turn into 50 plays every game. Um, uh, Michael Williams, good question here. Uh, what is the last sport to play in the Big 12 before the official move to the SEC? 
That's actually a great question. I wish Bobby wasn't hitting tennis balls right now. Um, I isn't it baseball? Don't it's got to be baseball because the college baseball and softball, baseball and softball, right? I mean, college World Series, but I think it's baseball. I want to say that they get a season in because they would be playing. The baseball team is playing now. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I think that the baseball season will be played. Yeah. They had just set the schedule. And it says the set to join in the. Yeah. I. Uh, I honestly, I, I saw this guy. I didn't have time to look at it today. I was busy with basketball stuff and football recruiting stuff. It's baseball, softball, then tennis, says Matt Chanel. Uh, Matt Chanel. So he may. That's the answer from him. Um, I'll get. I, I'll tell Bobby to give you a last stand hat for that because we didn't have the answer. <laughs> so when Bobby gets back on that. Um, David Williams says baseball. So, uh, here's a, here's a good one from David Williams. Actually, if Christian Jones had not returned, I could have seen Hayden Connor move to right tackle and Neto at left guard. What is most important? What is most important is that UT will likely have eight to 10 players good enough to start on the OL. Um, David, I actually agree with that. I, I, it's been a long time since you could say that. I, I would have to go back to the national championship team. Mike Garcia was a really good backup that would have started a lot of places, a couple of guys like that. But, you know, once you say all five starters are back, that doesn't mean all five starters return as starters, but all five are back. Neto, Cam Williams, Connor Robertson was the backup center last year. Not Logan Parr. If there had been injury to Jake Majors, Texas was perfectly fine with playing Connor Robertson at center. They're very high on him. I can tell you that. So Texas, Ian, they built that depth to where last year they got lucky because they had no injuries. This year, if you have an injury, you're pretty set. You're pretty well set up that there's not a big fall off. I want to say maybe 2009 before Buck Burnett got kicked off the team. They were a little bit deep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's true. I, I just like uh, that. <laughs> I, I I like Williams' take too. I wonder if Neto, if we would, if we we're going to get Neto on the field, maybe we could try it right tackle and move Christian Jones to left guard. But yeah. probably, probably they don't have a guy that's good enough to unseat Jones. Um, I still wonder with Connor, I still wonder if, if tackle is a better position for him than guard because he seems a little bit more quick and skilled than he yeah. is powerful and, uh, and you know, low. I think Cam Williams got the cards there, how well he does the spring if he comes on. Yeah. I think that's going to hold a lot of the cards there and where Hayden Connor ends up. Um, and that's just one opinion. Uh, again, this is the Longhorn live stream. My name is Jerry Hamilton of Inside Texas with Ian Boyd of Inside Texas. Justin Wells is supposed to be here. Have a little computer issue. Bobby Burton on vacation, uh, hitting golf balls with Fred Couples or playing tennis in Newport Beach. One of the two. Somebody said it's raining in Orange County. So who knows what Bobby's doing right now? I know he's not surfing. I will tell you that. Good question here. Does RT Rodney Terry go back to his normal rotation now that Timmy Allen is back? I think that's a great question headed in the uh, March Madness here. Texas won the Big 12 tournament championships. Let's say that correctly, the Phillips Big 12 big championship. Um, second time in three years, by the way, Texas won the Big 12 tournament championship. Timmy Allen set out the Big 12 tournament. Texas went 3-0. and 
Uh, beat Oklahoma State, beat TCU, ran Kansas out of the gym for the second time in a week, which I don't think has happened in the history of Kansas basketball, by the way. I bet they haven't lost to the same team by 15 points or more in a week ever in the history of the program. So that, I, I don't I don't have time to look it up in the Kansas. Certainly not to Texas. But uh, do what? Certainly not to Texas. Certainly not to Texas, correct. But what does RT and the staff do now that Timmy's back? And by the way, Timmy Allen's 100% or 95 or right there. I mean, if anybody saw him jumping around, I mean, the guy could have played. Um, they wanted to get him healthy 100% for the tournament. Knowing they had a two-seed locked up, um, I think that was a smart move because the last thing they wanted to do was get Timmy more injured and banged up. Look at all the injuries here late in the season heading to the NCAA tournaments. I think it's going to make for big bracket busters everywhere, by the way. But does Texas go back to the normal rotation? I think they do, yes. Um, I think they've had a lot of success with it. I think Jabari Rice is the best sixth man in America, arguably. Um, I think he gets some really favorable matchups coming into the game when he does. The starting guards uh, may be a little tired when he comes into those games. I think he can play either way the same. Look, threes didn't go in for him in the NCAA tournament. That guy still makes winning plays every trip down the court on both ends. I do think they return to the normal Rotation, though, I could see Timmy Allen playing a little less minutes. You know, he averaged 28.1 this year, I think 29.30 in the big time games. I could see him going 26 minutes. I, I really could. I think there may be a couple times where Texas needs to go Bishop and Disu on the court if they get deep enough into the tournament at the same time. That's only going to work with three guards on this roster, the way it's constructed. So I, I think there's that. You can't, you can't play a big lineup with Bishop, Disu, and Allen. You can't do it. Not effectively if you're in a Sweet 16 game or Elite 8 game. The teams you're playing against, that's going to be a tough, uh, tough ask offensively. So I think there, Timmy could see a couple less minutes. I think it's going to be so interesting, though, how Colgate plays Texas. Um, they have a chance because I don't know that Colgate can do anything about the uh, no. Hunter, Carr, no. Allen, Rice, <clears throat> and then pick your big. Yeah, well, that's somebody's going to be running to the rim every play again. Yeah, ball, so. I'm interested to see how Colgate attacks Texas defensively. If I'm Colgate playing against Texas, I play a step away and off Timmy. I play a step away and off Dylan and try to get him to settle for jump shots. Um, I play a step away and off Dylan Mitchell as well, um, because Dylan, I think, can make shots. That's just not his role in this team. Uh, I think he would have made 10, 12, 15 threes if he would have been a guy asked to do it this year. But I'd play step off those guys. I Once Carr and Rice give up the ball, I would try to face guard those, and I would really leave it in T Tyrese Hunter's hands to be the guy that, that, that to show some wiggle and get to the rim and see if he can finish at a high rate. Colgate has no last line of defense at the rim. So that – I think they have to play under ball screen, see if Texas is going to make shots. Their bigs aren't athletic enough to hard hedge uh, and really trap. That would be a tons of issues for Colgate. I could even see him trying to throw out a little zone, uh, but that'll be depending on how Texas shoots the ball. But great question. I think the rotation will come back the way it was. I don't know if Timmy Allen will play 29, 30 minutes, though. I could see it being 26, 27. They, they uh, relied on Morris and Mitchell more, I noticed, probably because you get deep in the – a, a game every day in the tournament and then guys get tired in the big 12 tournament. So then being able to put more. Oh, absolutely. They'd come a long way. They looked better than they had during the year. 
So it was a huge lift. For yeah, I think, I think. Yeah, Ian, I think Arterio Morris, the last ten games of the season, is the most improved player on the team. Yeah. Um, for those people that didn't see Arterio in high school, Dallas Kimball, uh, congrats, they won state, I believe. Wide open press all over the floor, a lot of transition. He's really had to learn how to play half court basketball, at Texas. He's had to learn good shot, bad shot. He's had to learn that I make I was I could get six, five, six, seven steals in high school, but that's different than dropping your butt, bending your knees, and being a menace on defense at this level. And I think it really showed up in the Big 12 tournament. Maybe the Kansas game had in the Big 12 tournament. He's taken better shots. He's taken better threes. And he is making plays on defense. It's creating a transition opportunity or two for him or his team uh, in every game now. I, I, he is really coming on at the right time for Texas because – if you can go from Tyrese Hunter to Arterio Morris guarding the ball and you don't have to put Marcus Carr in that scenario, you can really save Marcus's legs. So Arterio's coming on at absolutely the right time. A question from here. With the question marks on the edge, did Texas not want to pursue Tanmisi Adelaide, the AM transfer, when he first entered the portal? I think that's a great question. I think Texas saw him likely as an interior guy. And obviously, Tamisi ended up at Michigan State. I think Texas likely saw him as an interior guy. But with the guys coming back, that wasn't necessarily a great fit. I think Texas was looking for more of a natural edge guy. Um, and that really wasn't Tamisi. Not that he's not a really good player because he is. But I think Texas, if they had taken him, that would have been more as an interior guy. But with Sweat, Collins, Murphy coming back, you know, how many snaps are there? A guy just transferred from AM because he wasn't getting snaps. I'm not sure that would have been a good fit. I kind of support Texas on that decision. Yeah. I wonder if they even, I mean, was he really going to pick Texas with that room with the other competition? They really, it'd be really nice if they could find a guy like that next year, if they potentially lose Sweat, Murphy, like maybe Collins even, right? Uh, then they're, <laughs> they're really going to want, a guy like that, but yeah. the timing was bad. Again, Jerry Hamilton here of Inside Texas, Ian Boyd of Inside Texas. Uh, going to take a second here. We're going to take your questions the rest of the way. Going to take a second here. Uh, talk about Energy Texas. Energy Texas is for Texans by Texas. When Energy Texas becomes your energy provider, you're dealing with and calling people in the state of Texas, not back east. No overseas Texans. We're proud to be from the greatest state in the union and proud are still to be fighting for the little guy against big power. Give Energy Texas a try. They are great. I guarantee you. Uh, John, great question here. I love this question. Which unit will be most improved from last year? Wide receiver as a whole? I'll let you go, Ian, and I'll, then I'll, I'll go chime in after that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ooh. What? A quarterback. <laughs> there you go. That's a good one. I, I was trying to think through. The, I don't know that wide receiver was that bad last year. You know, Whittington, there were games they didn't even look his way. And it's not because he couldn't get open. Right. Um, it's because they, 
they had like a limited playbook, a limited game plan. I think it's quarterback. I think that's a great answer. I think quarterback is a very good answer because here's the reality of that too, is Quinn's in year two as a starter. Uh, I, I'm just here to tell people Arch Manning looks really good. I know it's not. And I also talked to someone and it's in the first team practice. The guy made really good decisions. He didn't force into a bad window. I think Arch is ahead of most freshmen in that regard. I'll say that. I haven't seen him in high school, been around it. I agree with you. In second year for a starting quarterback, I think, you know, you bring in the number one player in the country, number one quarterback in the country, last name Manning. I think that position's improved. And that's not a knock on Hudson card or anything. I just, this is the most talent the Texas quarterback room's had in a long time. Um, wide receiver, I think, is a, a good answer as well. If, if somebody wanted to go that way, to Ian's point, when Isaiah Nair went down, I think that really changed what Texas was planning to do. Um, the deep threat became Xavier Worthy, which he's not. That's not his strength. And Nair took away a strength that was, I think was going to make Worthy an even better player in year two. Um, but I think you add A.D. Mitchell to that uh, room this year. You add talented freshman John Tay Cook, DeAndre Moore. Um, and, and the depth-wise, I can see why people look at wide receiver and say it's a most improved position because you bring in another starter-level guy. And if Isaiah Nair returns off injuries, you have four starter-level guys. You have some really talented freshmen, and you have some experienced veterans behind them. Uh, we haven't really talked about this, but let's talk about this for a second, Ian. It leads into my point. Well, I don't know if we've talked about this. We may have. The biggest surprise player for me Wednesday at that spring practice was Savion Reddick running back. And I say that because I think when he was moved to running back, the natural reaction was, Keelan Robinson role fighting with Jalen Blue, right? I have a sneaking suspicion Savion Red's actually going to be a real running back. He's got a running back body type. Um, he was picking things up quickly. Tashard Choice uh, was really giving him a lot of praise. He is an impossible guard out of the backfield now. Um, he is really tough running routes. If he shows the ability to, or the feel to win the drop pads, play low to high, um, and has some contact balance. I know he's physical now. You talk to the Grand Prairie staff, they said we had to turn him off in practice. He was so physical, especially when it came playoff time. Uh, but, Ian, I think this is a sneaky, really good move by the Texas staff long term. You know, he was basically an inside running back in high school. Yep. He was like a wildcat quarterback. I mean, he was the quarterback. It wasn't a package, right? It's the whole offense. Right. But, um, you know, you, you cannot do that without some skill and knowing, like, how to read the linebackers and where to find your gap. Right. You can't run an offense like that unless the quarterback knows how to read those inside plays. You can't just hit the edge all the time. Well, the way they did it. When, that's yeah. how they did it. He was a running back. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's big. He's thick. He's he was, thick. He's bigger now. He's probably free now to go wherever his body would like to go. He was already right. big last year as a receiver. So uh, when they moved him, I assumed it was, you know, we need to make sure we have another guy that could be an every down between the tackles runner if something goes wrong with Brooks or Baxter's not quite ready yet. It seems like red is the transfer portal solution there. Yes, uh, I agree. So, yeah, yeah, maybe he'll be the guy at some point. Maybe he'll be the guy this year. I don't know. Here's a, here's a really good question, too. Uh, Joel McWaters preaches sometimes. With NIL, how much easier is, easier is it to get the guys that are late third-round graded to come back for another year 
knowing that being a higher pick offers more opportunities to stick in the league? I think it's a great question. I think it's a question that's being answered around the country. Um, I think NIL definitely changes the game, getting the extra year from those guys that are third, fourth, fifth round graded guys. Um, you know, look, the reality is if Devondre Sweat was a first or second round guy, he wasn't coming back, right? I mean, and before NIL, I'm not sure he comes back to Texas. So to that point, um, I, I think there's a lot to that, Ian. Um, and I think – I hate to say it, but it's it's the rich get richer in college sports right now with NIL. I mean, uh, you know, Tavondre Sweat most years I think would have gone in the draft. Um, but I'd like to hear your opinion on that. But I do think it's impactful. So I'm looking at the uh, contracts. And uh, top top pick in the third round gets four years, five million dollars. So about a million a year. You think about whatever NIL numbers that you've heard that are public. Probably the third round is more or less the cutoff for a star player. Right. For less right. than a star player, third round, that's probably equal or better money than you would make in well, what's your first pick in the fourth round what is that kind of contract when you look that up but I, I think that's really I didn't see but but from what I just saw the third round it sounds like fourth round is probably your cutoff for like yeah. when you have to when the decision becomes tough yeah but although you also have the you know get to your second contract faster um, different concerns like that I do think anything after the fourth round, if you're making real money on NIL, you might as well stay. Especially, and this is probably more true for skill players, right? If you're like a defensive lineman and your NIL opportunities are a little capped because you're a lineman and people don't know who you are, versus like if you're Jordan Whittington, maybe even if you're a fourth-round pick, you could still make more money as the star in Austin, Texas than as, yes. you know – so, yeah, it changes on the player. That's a great question. There's a lot to tease out there. And by the way, if there's one position, if I was consulting kids, pro players, if I let's say Jonathan Brooks, Brooks rushes for 1,200 yards as a fourth-round pick next year, I would tell him to go running back to go every time. Short life, get on with it. Um, that's the one position I, I think NIL won't affect at all because they have such a short life. Um, if I'm a running back and I'm if I can go in the first five rounds, I'm going to the NFL. Um, I, that's just the way I look at that position. Can I um, push back on that one? Can I push back huh? on that one? If go you, ahead. If that's why are, we're here. We have to deal with it. If you are a star running back in a place like Texas, and you yeah. can have a long career, then you will make NIL for the rest of your life because you yeah. can. You can be a bigger name and a bigger brand as a lifetime college star than as a committee run by committee NFL running back. Yeah, there's some truth in that. that right. You probably have to have a certain level of name recognition, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 that's a good point. Um, I think uh, the, the, the short life there puts a lot of pressure on the backs to go pro. Um, again, Jerry yeah. Hamilton here of Inside Texas with Ian Boyd of Inside Texas. Justin Wells had some computer issues. We'll have him Friday, I believe. Maybe not. We'll see. Um, but we'll have him on again this week to talk a little football and recruiting. Again, uh, before we wrap up, Texas basketball. 
Number two seed Midwest region plays number 15 seed Colgate Thursday, 6.15 p.m. Central time on TBS. After that game is seven seed A&M, 10 seed Purdue. Um, boy, will that be fun on the Longhorn live stream Friday if it's Texas and Texas A&M on Saturday. Um, I mean, can you imagine being Rodney Terry? Kind of, man, I'm playing A&M in the round of 32, and I know if I beat these Aggies, I'm getting four years and 16 million. I mean, what a great spot to be in if you're Rodney Terry. I mean, let's be real. I mean, it couldn't be any better for RT right now, or it couldn't be any worse if you lose to AM in the second round, too. So, uh, but cannot, that would be a cannot fun. take a blowout loss there. Do what? You cannot take a blowout loss there. No, no, you can't. Um, I will say this about Texas basketball. I'm pretty close to these guys. Um, this is a team that's really focused. Uh, Jabari Rice is to me reminds I've said it before reminds me of Roshan Johnson in so many ways it's not even funny he's got a winner's DNA a physical and mental toughness a natural leadership ability um, and he does it off the bench and, and you could argue he's actually the leader of the team off the bench and that's and that's saying something for guys like Marcus Carr Timmy Allen a lot of guys there he's come into the program and he's added so much to that. I think this is a really focused team. I think they had fun. They won the Big 12 tournament. They had fun. They beat Kansas, the breaks off Kansas twice. That's not the end goal for this team. I, I can tell people that. Um, I think they've rallied around Rodney. I think those guys love Rodney Terry. Um, look, I know Rodney Terry from being at AAU events, uh, a great human. Um, uh, you know, and he, he lost his father in August. And he, he said in the press conference, he's kind of dedicating this to his father. Uh, but this is a team that's totally bought in right now. And I think the staff is having a lot of fun with this group. Um, and I think they feel like they've got a lot more in front of them potentially. And I, again, with Texas basketball, I don't know where you come out, Ian. Texas will beat Colgate. I, I, they're going to win. You know, look, two, 15 dudes does beat twos. I, I'll be very surprised. I think if Texas can get by this round of 32 game, Texas hasn't been in the Sweet 16 since 20, 2008 when they went to the Elite Eight. If they get past this game, I really look at that Sweet 16 matchup, an injured Xavier team, um, maybe Pittsburgh, maybe Iowa State, who is does not at full strength anymore. Um, I, I really, if Texas gets past this second game, I, 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 I could see him getting to the Final Four. I really could. I don't think Sasser is going to be healthy. They're rested away for Houston. Miami's got injury issues. I mean, this could, breaks pretty well for Texas if they get past the second round. Yeah, when I did my bracket earlier, I didn't know about some of these injuries you've been dropping. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. go up in a minute. Who, who's out for Xavier again? It's their big man. It's their back, big guy, average 15 and 8. And he uh, got hurt. He hadn't played the last 9 or 10 games. I think they were going to win the Big East. Because I think Sean Miller is a tremendous offensive basketball coach. Like He's a top five coach in college basketball uh, for me. Great offensive coach. Great evaluator. Look at the guys he had at Arizona. Um, that are all in the NBA now. But so he's a tremendous offensive coach. Uh, they're, they have firepower at guard, but I think missing that big, if Texas gets to a Xavier in a sweet 16 is going to be the difference uh, there. And I think Marquette got after him in that regard in the big East final Miami's big man got hurt the third trip down against Duke. Else, I think they beat Duke. I think that was a tough matchup for Duke uh, because the Miami guards can really score the ball from all angles. Uh, but if that big man's out for them, he was averaging a double double. I just, I, it's hard for me if Texas got the Miami 
saying Miami would beat Texas in that scenario as well. So it kind of sets up for Texas. But again, the big hurdles this round of 32 game, whether it's AM or a confident Penn State team that just got to the Big Ten final. I mean, look, Penn State was 10 and 10 in the Big Ten, but they have one of the best guards picket in the country, a transfer. Um, really good at the basketball, really strong player. That's a team that's the most experienced backcourt in the country for Texas fans if you play Penn State in around the 32. That's not a team Texas can bully at guard. They bullied some teams this year. They can't do it to Penn State. Penn State doesn't score the ball at all inside eight feet, and Texas is going to have an advantage there. But Penn State can shoot it. Um, they're not great defensively, uh, but I still think that would be a tough, tough game. Anytime you, after your first round, it's going to be tough. But – uh, Penn State's coming in confident. I think AM's coming in confidence. They win, obviously, and that would be a great opportunity for Texas AM and Buzz Williams to beat Texas. But if Texas gets past that second game, I, I feel pretty good about it. Wow. I mean, so we'll see. I've been wrong before. It's the NCAA tournament, and this tournament's wide open. Again, my name is Jerry Hamilton. Uh, for Ian Boyd, you've been listening to the Longhorn live stream on On Texas Football. Bobby Burton, your favorite host, will be back in the saddle on Friday. Uh, I guess when he gets tennis elbow after Thursday, he'll be back in the saddle Friday. Myself, Ian, will be back up Friday on the Longhorn live stream. Good luck to the Longhorns Thursday night, 6-15, taking on 15-seat Colgate. I promise Donald Foyle's not walking through that door for Colgate. And we'll talk to you again later this week. <laughs>